We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Imitate. Today will be part 17. We're still dealing with the emotions of Jesus and the apostles. Yesterday we dealt with empathy. Father, prosper your word, everything that has come forth. We know it doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes everything for which it was sent. We rejoice in hope of the manifestation of everything you have declared. Oh, we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. Hallelujah. So yesterday we looked at the empathy of Jesus and the apostles and how is the ability to feel what somebody feels, the way that they feel it. So today let's look at compassion. Let's look at compassion. And I'll give you a quick walking definition for the sake of this short conversation. To be moved by the predicament of others Enough to take action to help. Enough to take action to help. That's compassion. In a sentence you can remember. To be moved by the predicament of others. Enough to take action to help. I told you guys a few weeks ago that in the Greek, there actually is not a word in the Greek vocabulary Deep enough actually explain compassion. Because in the Greek, in the original language, compassion actually is, is almost a botanical or a anatomical term. Because it actually means for something to move you so much in your innards. You know, innards in your entrails, your bowels. That's what the word compassion actually means, connotes in the Greek. For you to feel something so much, your bowels move. Does that make sense? Now imagine feeling something, a feeling that moves your bowels. A, an emotional feeling that causes your entire innards to respond. That's how deep the emotion of compassion is. It's at that level that you can do something. So every response should be from sons of God, born out of a Deeply seated Christ emotion of compassion. Are you following me? To be moved by someone's predicament enough to take action. So the Greek philosophers had to settle for a word that sort of explains compassion. And even the word cannot properly be pronounced. It is splagisomai. And it's S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Is one of them serious Greek words. That's the word used for compassion in the that's the word the Greek guys settled for to capture compassion in the original language. And that just means to be moved in the inward parts. Make sense? To be moved in the inward parts. It also connotes deep objective pity 
that compels your heart to respond. In other words, you, it is, I, I, oh, I feel pity for this person. It's not passive. Make sense? It's not passive. Pity is active in its, in its real sense. It's something that compels you to respond. Make sense? That's the word compassion. And then you realize then that that's what happened to our griefs and sorrows. Isaiah 53. Surely, verse 3, I believe. Yes, it's verse 3. Verse 3. He's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah, this is, we have this in the message. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, see this, who knew pain firsthand. <laughs> I love God's word. Jesus knew pain firsthand. He didn't know about pain. He knew pain firsthand. Firsthand. So when the writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest, I showed you the other day. In other, double negative, right? It means we so have a high priest who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities, being tempted in every way. There was nothing you think you feel that he didn't feel. Truth of the matter is this. You are only feeling your own. He felt for the entire world, past, present, future. You are the one that would never feel what he felt. As opposed to saying, no, Jesus, how can he know what I felt? Is you that will never know what he felt. He knew pain firsthand. And because he knew it, see verse 4. We looked down on him. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried. Our disfigurements. All the things wrong with us. All. All the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself. But it was God punishing him for our own failures. King James said, surely he has borne our grief. And carried our sorrows. We were there pointing at him and saying, crucify him. That's what he means. We esteem him stricken. Like, how, how can I follow somebody who is so mangled up? How can somebody who is so mangled up be the savior of my soul? I can somebody who had to be beaten up so badly and couldn't do anything to help himself be the one who saves me and gives me eternal life. While you're doing that, what was he doing? Carrying your griefs and bearing your sorrows. Why did he bear it? He was a man of sorrows, verse 3, acquainted with grief. He and grief were five and six. Grief, your grief. In other words, Jesus malida sobradaga. Jesus had no reason to have grief. He carried grief. If he felt grief, it was your grief he felt. What would make Jesus grieved? What? What could? 40 days of fasting finished. Angels came and ministered to him. What will make Jesus, son of God, peace, joy, be grieved? If not your nonsense. If not my nonsense. But guess what? It moved and so discomfited Jesus in his inward parts that he took it. 
He felt your grief so sordidly that he acted on it. Are you following me now? And that's compassion. He felt it. He didn't have it. How does the NLT put that? Isaiah 53, 3 and 4. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care for. Yet, you see that? It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Yet, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. He, in other words, he had none of his own accord. Punishment for his own sins. But it was ours he was carrying. That's compassion. That's compassion. You literally feel what somebody is going through enough to do something and change it. That's the trait of Jesus. Every miracle that Jesus did, every, somebody say every, was born out of compassion. In other words, Jesus did not do anything that he did not first feel. Are you here? He had to, it had to have disturbed him in his inward parts to say, no, this cannot be. You hear them say that they brought as many as were sick to him and distressed of devils and he healed them all. You hear them say, why are you bringing children to disturb Jesus? Jesus doesn't have time for children. You hear him say, suffer the little children to come. Suffer in the Greek means to do everything possible to ensure that nothing stands in the way of their coming. Not suffer as in, you know, the way you think in English. That, you know, some make them suffer to come. Do you understand? Do everything possible. To ensure that nothing stands in the way of the children coming for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I told you guys in this house a few months ago, I can't stand children. I can't stand somebody who cannot process and decide and take a stand and then now make you my responsibility. Why? Did I burn you? So don't bring children to me until I saw. Wait, my elder brother is cool with children. And somehow they are cool with him. And he even says, suffer them to come. So I had to repent. So now it's not about me being a fan of children. As much as understanding that being a son of God equips me with grace to handle them. Did you get what I just said? Being a son of God in the likelihood of my elder brother. In the similitude of my elder brother. Comes preloaded with grace to handle children. What is the grace? In the fact that Jesus handled them and handled them well. So you realize it comes with grace for this territory. And all he begins to do is lay hold of it. Lay hold of it. And now I have patience with you. Even me, I'm surprised. So we looked at the pattern. We're like, okay, this is the pattern. So we follow. Jesus handled children. Somehow as busy as he was. He had the time to lay hand on someone and, and lap a child and say, let the child come. And he pictured Jesus teaching on the Mount of Olives. And there's a little child sat on his lap, pulling his beard. And he's still teaching what we are living by. And a child did not distract him. Calm down. 
me. That's why, that's how that thing died. That pride died in me to feel offended when I'm teaching and you are sleeping. Paul, Paul was teaching brand new gospel. I say this all the time. We are here breaking our head over his letters. Not his teaching. What we are arguing about now is not Paul's teaching. Paul's letters highlighting his teaching. So imagine if we were actually there when he was teaching. Brand new. Showing Christ from the Old Testament only. We don't think, oh, Christians. 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you that which I also received. How that Christ died according to the scriptures. Christ died according to Genesis to Malachi. Christ resurrected according to Genesis to Malachi. So somebody read the old covenant and saw the death, burial, the crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the glorification of the believer. Genesis to Malachi, you read it and all you see is Bible story. How that Christ died according to the scriptures. So imagine when Paul was teaching this thing for the first time. Imagine when Paul was there for the first time telling them, this scripture that says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He was referring to this. This scripture that was saying, write the vision and make it plain was referring to this. This scripture that was saying Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Me, I will, I will be mad. Me, I will be mad. I will be the loudest, craziest person in the room. Uticus slept. It's, it's not just somebody's preaching. It's one, it's Paul. Two, he's delivering a gospel that is norm-defying, revolutionary. Do you understand? A revolutionary message. And a believer was sleeping. In a window sat a certain young man <laughs> Who was? Let's say it in antiquity. Sitting in an open window, listen, the man is even foolish. Listening in the window was a young man named Eutychus as Paul someone dragged on. Eutychus became drowsy and fell into a deep slumber. <laughs> message. Go back and show us in the message. A young man named Eutychus was sitting in an open window. As Paul went on and on, Eutychus fell sound asleep. Sound. Not any house sleep. On an open window. When Paul is preaching a fresh gospel, why then should Pav be offended? When I'm preaching recycle, preaching copy and paste, and you are sleeping, sleep. But I cannot stop you from sleeping soundly. So I wake up, wake up when I'm preaching. That, that, that what? Can we follow scriptural example? I, say, I told you yesterday, discipleship is easy, just follow. If he didn't offend Paul, why is he bothering you? Do you understand what I'm saying? Why is he bothering you? If Paul was not offended by it, it didn't affect the delivery of the gospel. Eh? Imagine you took us now being raised from the dead. He said, hey, what happened? <laughs> what I miss? <laughs> what am I doing on the ground floor? <laughs> and you see people celebrating, thanking God. For you to go coming back to life and he's like, hey, what is happening? Coming back to what? From where? So everybody must be allowed to go through the same process. Because you, God dealt with you gently. 
You didn't want to deal with another person like a policeman. That's what's wrong with the church. You didn't get up and start praying four hours. You didn't. So you also have to learn to guide people along the process that produced you so that it can also produce them. If possible, where necessary, you then simplify it by making them avoid the pitfalls that you fell into. For instance, we spent hours praying to hear the voice of God. Why should I make you pray hours to hear the voice of God when he has revealed them to us by his spirit? Why? So it's compassion. It's embedded in the grace that makes you a son of God. That's the example our elder brother showed us. So you understand that you're moved by what moves people. Every miracle Jesus did sprung from compassion. Every, every single miracle, everything Jesus did, we just saw Isaiah 15, bore because he felt them. Let's look at a few examples. Look at Matthew chapter 9. We need 35. Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all these cities and villages, teaching in all their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. What did he feel? They were weary and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. 36 in the TP. When he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. The message. When he looked out over the crowds, look at that. His heart broke. So confused and aimless they were. Like sheep without shepherd. TPT in the next verse, 37. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. Next verse. As you go, plead with the owner. King James says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into his harvest. What prompted him to do that action? Compassion. People scattered, weary, tired, sheep without shepherd. Pray for harvest. Pray for laborers. So we can capture all these people. And they don't have to remain without a shepherd. Can you see that? Moved with compassion. Does the Amplifier add any words to it? Matthew 9.36. They were the Amplifier. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion and pity for them. Because they were dispirited and distressed. Like sheep without a shepherd. Look at Matthew 14. It's actually a verse uh, easy to remember. It's Matthew 14, verse 14. Let's go from 13. Matthew 14, 13. I imitate the compassion of Jesus. You see, what, what, do you, what do you guys think Paul means when he says in Galatians 4, I think 19? I think it's Galatians 4, 17 or 19 where Paul says, My little children, whom I labor over with birth pangs, that what? That Christ be formed in you. What does that mean? 19. That Christ be formed in you. Now Christ is in you. I've taught you that here before. 
but by your deliberate steps he gets formed in you in other words the nature of christ gets formed in you in conformity to the person of christ who lives in you it's not just having the person of christ the person of christ in a believer is instant the nature of christ in a believer is not the nature of christ is formed the pattern of christ is formed in conformity to the person of Christ or the personality of Christ that is inside you. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It's formed. You get up and start to understand your father. But you were born your father's son. You get up and you're running around all over the place and you want to enter your father's room without knocking. Your father will say to you, no, you have to knock before you enter. Your father teaches you to say, say please. Please, daddy. Because as a child, you will come and say, give me it to me. Give me. Your mom will say, no. Say, please. But are you your mother's daughter? Yes. But you need to learn your mother's nature. Your mother's nature must be formed in you. So Paul's labor was not to give them Christ. They already had him. Paul's labor was to then form Christ in them. It is God that labored to put Christ in you. God was in Christ reconciling the world. Are you getting this? So Paul cannot claim credit for Christ in the believer. But he says, I'm laboring over you that Christ, his nature, is formed in you. That's why we are teaching what we're teaching. So he's formed in you by imitation. He's formed in you by the measure to which you are looking to him and becoming what you are beholding. That's why we're teaching this. Are you here? Where are we? Matthew 14 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted, deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. 14. When Jesus went out and he saw a great multitude and he was with compassion for them and so every time you see compassion compelling him to do something. It's not passive. You feel someone's predicament enough to take action to help. Are you getting it? Yes, Matthew 20. Matthew 20. I imitate the compassion of Jesus. Some of you now begin to get insight into how some of us are wired the way we are. Matthew 20. I need, uh, let's go from 29. <laughs> now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, son of David. Out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still, I love it, and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and, somebody say compassion and. 
Are you seeing the pattern? Oh, look at you. You don't have shoes. How are you coping? How are you coping? Remove your shoes. Or else it's not compassion. It's piety. P-I-T-Y. It's just feeling sorry for someone. Oh, you know, morally sorry. Oh, wow. Wow, how, how sad. How unfortunate. He had compassion and did something about it. And touched their eyes. Of course, we know how that story ends. Immediately, their eyes received sight. What sponsored that miracle? Compassion. Why isn't there ever a mention in all these instances? And so you see, we keep making stupid noise about anointing, powerful man of God, mighty man of God. Why wasn't it done to Jesus? All that it took for a miracle to happen was compassion. It is the absence of compassion that will make a pastor look at somebody who was not healed and say they did not have faith. Ah, she didn't have faith. She doesn't have faith. What can God do for her? Show me one person Jesus healed with their faith. One. Show me one. Oh, that thou might mayest have faith in order for your eyes to be open. Oh, that thou mayest respect the anointing on the man of God to tap into that grace. Jesus simply had passion. Compassion requires nothing of you. Compassion does not calculate return on investment. It doesn't calculate return on investment. What you will do for me when I do for you. That's why if you go for a crusade that you heal people. You, you. Do you know how many places we have gone and declared the gospel and people have gotten saved and we have not introduced them to our church? Our church. Just a few weeks ago, we planted a family from this church in another church because it's closer to them. The gospel is taught there. It's close to your house. Service times are more favorable for you. They went, told the man, I told the pastor, I said, we are sending a family to you. They went, how was it beautiful? Oh yeah, pastor, behold thy family. Family, behold thy pastor. Done. Because it's when you are counting heads and offering that you become selfish. You're not, count, you're not counting sons. You're counting heads and offering. That's when you become selfish, that hoarding people. Compassion does not calculate ROI, no return on investment. It's not economics. It's nothing. You, it comes from you moved with compassion. You do. Oh, it'd be nice to get some things, but that's not why we're doing it. You're moved with compassion. Every miracle Jesus did was fueled by compassion. In spite of the anointing. So when somebody comes and he's flaunting anointing. Anointing that all of us have. There's no special anointing in New Testament. Not one. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Who lives in you. And shows you all things. We are all anointed sir. Touch not my anointed. is all of us. It was not the anointing that was bringing miracles. Because he was not anointed every time for every crusade. 
He was anointed once. When the Holy Ghost came upon him. That's the anointing. One anointing. So as he moved from place to place, what discharged the anointing? Compassion. What activated the anointing? Compassion. Because anointing is simply enablement. That's all it is. Anointing is not physical. Anointing is enablement or, for, for, to use another word, endowment or endowment. And the things that we have made anointing were just symbols by which those endowments were made physical or made visible. Does that make sense? Same thing with baptism. Baptism is not physical. The physical elements of baptism are just to give visibility to what otherwise would be intangible. Just like the Holy Ghost himself does not come upon you by laying on of hands. But the laying on of hands shows the crossbreed between that relationship vertical and this relationship horizontal. First John 1. We have fellowship with you because our fellowship is with the Father. Does that make sense? So when we do that, we are commending you in fellowship. And the Holy Ghost comes into you. It's not our hands carrying the Holy Ghost. That's why we can release the Holy Ghost into you without touching you. <laughs> For the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Oh, yes! It's one of the few times that you see laying out of hands in the New Testament. And for consecration. And for the prayer of the sick. Full stop. You just lay hands, lay hands, lay hands, lay hands. Lay hands, lay hands, lay hands. Ah! Paul warned Timothy. He said, lay hands on no man suddenly. And do not partake of their sin. If you want to give offering, I will lay hands on you. Where did we get it? Money, make you to lay hands. Money, mammon. So the oil and the water, those things, they are just symbols. In the same way that John himself, who, who is called the Baptist, says, I baptize you with water. So the water is not the baptism. The water is used to qualify the baptism. I baptize you with, because baptism does not mean immersed in water. If baptism means immersed in water, we would not need to say, I immerse you in water with water. Baptizo in the Greek just means to drench someone in something such that the person is completely subsumed by it. That's baptizo. And John the Baptist then says, I do that to you with water. I will cover you in water until water covers all of you. And I cover you with water for repentance. Unto repentance. Not unto salvation. Water baptism is unto repentance, unto changing your mind about he that is going to get you saved. Because John the Baptist did not preach the gospel. John did not promise anybody salvation. But one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and, next verse, and with fire. Baptize with water. Baptize with Holy Ghost and fire. That means water is not baptism. Holy Ghost is not baptism. Fire is not baptism. Water is not baptism. I didn't stutter. Holy Ghost is not baptism. Fire is not baptism. Baptism is the immersion of a believer into the totality of God such that none of him is left. How does God achieve that? By the Holy Ghost. How did the Jew Proof to John that they are ready to receive Jesus. Cover you in water until none of you is showing again. You came up, you changed your mind, now you're ready for Jesus. Okay, here's Jesus coming. But what you used to baptize you is different. And then we get stuck in symbols. He who baptizes after me will 
baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. Matthew 3. And now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Go on. Therefore, every tree does not bear fruit. Is cut down and thrown into the... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I indeed... Oh, my God. I indeed baptize you with water unto repent. But he who is coming after is mightier than I and my water baptism. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Did you see that? So the Holy Spirit is God's tool for baptizing the believer. The new creation. The Holy Ghost is God's tool for baptizing the new creation. The believer. What was the physical appearance of that baptism? Cloven tongues, ass of fire. Acts 2. And this fire came before the Holy Ghost came. Mighty rushing wind came. They were not baptized. <laughs> Cloven tongues as of fire came. They were not baptized. Then the Holy Spirit came and they were baptized. And that baptism now, because it immerses you completely in God, he is now referred to as the anointing. You get it? He's the anointing. He lives in you. First John 2. 20, 21. Look for it. First John 2. 19, they went out of us and we made known they're not of us. If they're with us, would have continued with us. 20, yes. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. 24 or 26. But the anointing which you have received from him abides or lives in you. Not stays on you. Because if you are stubborn like me, anointing service, before I reach my seat, I've wiped it. It's affects me somehow and I loved Jesus if that's all there is to the anointing that's why we need to put it on you all the time because the anointing is not upon you the anointing abides within you and you do not need anyone to teach you because the same anointing teaches you oil does not teach you anointing teaches you all things anointing is true anointing is not a lie. Anointing has taught you and you will abide in the anointing. I love God's word. Luke 7, 12 and 13. Luke 7, 12 and 13. And when he came near to the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. Ah, it's difficult to just pull one thing out of something and leave the rest until one day. Only son of her mother. The Lord saw her. He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. When you go back, study the parallel between this and Jesus' death. And he sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. You will see the, the, the scenario there is the, the reason why they are highlighting the particulars of the case was to show you how it affected Jesus. How it affected him enough to act. Luke 10. Luke 10. I need verse 31. Are we there? Luke 10, 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. This is the whole Samaritan thing, yeah? The good Samaritan. And when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by the other side. 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. 
next verse. So he, he did something. You getting the instruction? Luke 15 and verse 20. Go back a couple of verses. You know this story. This is the story of the lost son. Go back a couple of verses to verse 18 or there about where the thought starts. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran. I told you, compassion and ran. Father, offended. Father, disappointed. Father, betrayed. Father, disrespected. Father, disregarded. Father, taken advantage of. Had compassion. Ran to the son. Fell on the son's neck and kissed him. That's why I've said over and over that in church, we cannot be afraid of smelling like your mess. You know, people distance themselves from people that are going through. Ah, no, 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 she's pregnant. What, is, what, what example did we see? Oh, he's drunk. What example have we seen? Someone who will have compassion and do something in spite of where we were. It's a beautiful emotion. Beautiful emotion. Like I said earlier, it's an emotion sponsored by the grace of God. And it's the grace of God that you have inside of you. If only, and I will say this every time I get the opportunity to teach and preach in Nigeria to Nigerians, if only you will stop being a Nigerian and be a son of God. Because the Nigerian believer's problem is Nigeria. Nigeria as the system. Nigeria as the culture. That makes everybody think about nothing but themselves. Nothing but me and how it affects me. Nothing. Somebody loses their money, loses their wallet. A believer will see it and say, ah, thank God. God has buttered my bread. You will choke. Because that's not how God works. That's witchcraft. God has helped me. God, heaven has smiled on me. God has smiled on me. Which God? This is the God of your village. Thank God he has buttered my bread. Because we think that for God to be good to you, he must bring misfortune to all your enemies. God cannot bless you without killing everybody that is against you. God cannot prosper you without taking away the prosperity of the wicked. So you have Christians living in covetousness. What Paul said we should not do. We are so self-absorbed. Me? How? Oh God. Key all my enemies for you. And then you're due to somebody else is praying. Go to key his enemies and you're on the list. Because listen to me, I promise you. If you have enemies, you are somebody's enemy. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. If you are praying for your enemies to die, somebody is praying for you to die. That's what I tell Christians. Stop dragging God into football, into Premier League. I'm praying for Arsenal to win. I'm praying for Manchester. You are lying. You're lying. He's not involved. So killing of enemies, he's not involved. That's why when you pray it in Jesus' name, you have to go somewhere for somebody to sponsor it. He's not involved. And if only we would just go beyond ourselves and be moved by the predicament of others. You don't have to have it happen to you to feel that it's happening to someone enough to do something about it. 
There are things I have read up just because somebody around me is going through it. There are things I've become an expert in just because somebody close to me is dealing with it. So I position myself to be in the best place to minister to them. Because somebody's going through something that they, that they don't understand. And once they know that their pastor understands even better than they do, they can come into peace. There are things I've explained to members that are under me better than their doctor could explain to them. Their doctor explained it, they didn't get it. They have never understood it until their pastor told them, until Pav told them. And it was when Pav told you what you were dealing with that your doctor could not articulate that it made sense to you. So imagine how often I do that. To identify with someone on a personal level. Pray with you on a level. Connect with you on a level. How much we pour out to be there for people. To have meetings with people. To share with people. We learned it from our, our elder brother. And that's the call. And you'd be amazed how much resources can flow from the bank of compassion. How much resources compassion can produce. Compassion will bring resources. What is compassion? How is my church keeping the lights on for every meeting without telling us a lie? How is my church holding meetings without raising seed and offering and raising first fruit and raising pledge and raising all those things that everybody else does that by light I've come to understand is not of God? How are they able to do this without compromising? Father, count me in to what's going on. That's compassion. You're moved enough to do. And then your giving becomes faithful. You dedicate a percentage of everything you get to sustain the work. It becomes easy. So we learn to be compassionate. Feel it enough to do something. Feel it enough to do something. You pray for someone. Let them know they're not alone. How are you doing? You breathing okay today? You're strong today? You woke up well today? The Lord is perfecting all that concerns you. Strengthen them. It's not a surge as in one-off. It's consistent. It's the lifestyle of Jesus. You love on people. That's what compassion does. Compassion attracts resources. Compassion and. Is anybody receiving instruction? Compassion and. You stop counting how much is your account balance. And start seeing how much God is using your compassion to fix in church. That's what God has called us to, to imitate. That's the life of Jesus. That's the life of Jesus. Somebody says, I don't have transport. That means do something. Or get something done. Most times we think we are the problem. They need this solution to someone's problem. Sometimes all you need to do is be a bridge. I can't do this, but here I know somebody who can. I can't give you this, but this person might be able to. That's compassion. You live in a house with brothers and sisters and then you are not thinking about what we're going to eat because you just know that sister X will kill herself. You're a witch. I, I, know we are, I know we need to eat. I have 100 naira. This 100 naira is my transport for tomorrow. But tomorrow can take care of itself. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. So Jesus said, Matthew 6. Tomorrow has problems of its own. So here's my 100 naira. Can you buy the salt we need for today? Can you buy one cup of Gary? And then in the morning, let's all wake up and let's all not have transport. And let us see what God will do. That's why you're being moved by compassion. 
Otherwise, keep quiet when sons are talking. You sit down and you are eating and you are seeing a brother, brethren, same womb as you. And you can't ask, have you eaten? Because what you have calculated is me, say, this one can barely belly for me. Talk to me now, Nigerian. Me, I'm on a 101 or 011 or 001. This is the only food I'm going to eat today. And you know what? You have just set yourself up. That's the only meal you will eat. Because I've said over and over, if you pay for everything you are enjoying in this life, you are poor. You are very poor. If you are priding in the fact that you budgeted your breakfast, budgeted your dinner, 500 naira every day, you are very poor. Because the greatest currency in the kingdom of God is favor. Favor. So now you cannot say you do not know. What's the life wire of the church? What keeps, what keeps us going? What keeps us giving? It's compassion. Compassion and compassion and compassion that makes us do. Compassion that makes us go. Compassion that makes us give. Compassion that makes us keep teaching in spite of us. In spite of our bodies. Keep pushing. Keep stretching. All that your heart be moved. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.